God, we thank you, we praise you for the decision Ava has made to go all in with you, surrendering her life to you and finding a brand new forever life in you. God, we welcome her to this family of faith. We pray your spirit guide her, guard her. We pray that we would do the same to love on her and to help her follow you faithfully forever. God, thanks for the encouragement we get from seeing a young girl make a bold decision to go all in with you. God, we love what you're doing here. We love how you're at work. We love that we get to be part of it because we love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, church, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. Man, good to be with you today. So, you know, the Lord giveth in the fall and the springtime, he taketh away. Not surprised to see more of you in this service. Some of you early service people showing up a little later today. It's good to have you with us no matter when you're joining us. And those of you sleeping in and joining us online, we're glad for you to be here too. And when my wife and I were first married, uh, we began attending a small church in central Illinois, kind of a country church. And we learned right away there was kind of a cowboy element to this church. And we got invited to a cookout, a bonfire with some of the, the people from that church. And we, we went and uh, I was coaching at the time, coaching cross country. And so I had come right from a, a practice. I was in shorts and a polo and running shoes. And, and I show up and the only dude not in cowboy boots, jeans, a button-up, and some sort of hat. I felt like I was in that moment of Sesame Street where one of these things is not like the other ones. So I sat down, began chatting with the guys. They welcomed me into their circle. We became fast friends, still friends with many of those guys to this day. And it was great. We were eating good food and having great conversations, sitting around the bonfire. And, and I'm learning that these guys not only have horses and ride horses, some of these men had gone out west, wrangled their wild horses out there, like wrangled wild stallions, brought them home, broke them in, and those had become their trusty steeds. And this was like an annual expedition for these guys to go wrangle wild horses. So one of the guys eventually says, Fitz, you ride? No. In fact, at that point, I had to confess, I had never yet ridden a horse. But my wife, who was in a totally separate conversation with some women on this other circle next to me, somehow overhears me say this and says, oh no, you've ridden a horse. No, no, I've never ridden a horse, honey. No, no, tell them about the horse you rode at the state fair. And so one of these guys like, whoa, bro, you rode a horse at the Illinois State Fair. That's kind of a big deal. I'm like, no, I've never, never ridden a horse. No, no. It's like, no, stop with the humility, man. Like, let's hear. It's just like, yeah, tell him about the horse. I'm like, I've never ridden a horse. She's like, tell him about the horse over in Kitty Corner. <laughs> like, I don't know what I had done to, like, anchor my wife to, to receive this from her at that point. Like, we're good. We got a solid marriage today, but I, I don't know. And at that moment, I had to confess to these guys, the only horse I'd ridden up to that time were the ponies. And they, and they like, jumped in like, Bro, you mean like the ponies with the bit, the, like the metal bar, the, the rope, they, they walk in a circle? Yeah, you know. <laughs> Have you ever felt like you just did not belong somewhere? And one of those guys went on to own his own rodeo. I rode a pony in the circle at the state fair. I mean, it's just terrible, right? Like, have you ever felt like you did not belong? Belonging is a is a human need. It's, it's part and parcel to all of us. It's who we are. It's part of the common human experience we desire to belong. 80 years ago, psychologist Abraham Maslow uh, 
proposed his hierarchy of human needs. It, it, pyramid structure like this and square in the middle of it you say square in the middle of it's a triangle but it's right in the middle of that is love and belonging love and belonging according to maslow come after our need for safety which comes after our physiological needs but maslow missed it he, he got this wrong because we know that the need to belong is one of the strongest driving forces in life some of the dumbest things i've ever done were precipitated, like preceded by the phrase, oh, I'll do that, or hey guys, watch this. Like the time that I went bridge jumping in the middle of the night with no moonlight on an abandoned, rusty, broken old train bridge that hadn't been used in decades, jumping from an extreme height into somewhat shallow water in the dead of night when we couldn't see, knowing there were down trees and dangerous currents underneath. And I was not a great swimmer, but the other dudes were doing it. You know, dad used to say, if your buddies were all jumping off a bridge, would you, well, dad, I guess so. (laughs) Like that's one of dozens, if not hundreds of dumb things I did, dumb things that jeopardized my safety, dumb things that disregarded my physiological needs. I risked all of that in an attempt to belong. And, And it sounds dumb, because it is dumb, right? But I'm not the only one who's dipped into the dumb water to take a drink, right? I mean, just consider all the people who have endured the hazing rituals to be part of a sorority or a fraternity or a certain sports team. All of us at times will put belonging ahead of our safety, our physiological needs. You've experienced the same thing, probably not nearly a a dumb or dangerous way is what I've done, but have you ever been in a large room, a crowded room, maybe you're sitting in the middle, sitting towards the front, and then you feel the need to use the restroom. And what do you do? You probably stayed put. In fact, research tells us that most of us will endure the discomfort of needing to relieve ourselves all the way until we're on the verge of wetting our pants. And then only because we see that Wetting our pants in public is far more detrimental to our social standing than exiting a room and, you know, seeing how we're judged then. And right now, because I'm talking about the need to use the restroom, there are many of you who are now weighing the option of getting up in the middle of a crowded room to go relieve yourself from that morning cup of coffee, or do you stay put? You're welcome. <laughs> and, you know, if you get up, we won't judge you much as long as you come back. I suppose that's one of the advantages to joining us online, right? Nobody will know. So friend, how far would you go? How far have you gone to belong? Chris grew up in LA. We're talking the the dangerous part of LA, boys in the hood, LA. Chris grew up broken home, absent dad, rough life, drugs, violence all around him in his face every day. Chris wrestled, he struggled with self-worth, he struggled in school, he struggled to find his place until a local gang approached him. The gang told him he'd have a place with them. So Chris endured several beatings in the process of jumping into that gang. Chris endured these beatings that put him within inches of his life so he could be one of them. He had to prove he was tough enough to belong there. Then as a member of the gang, 
He was in numerous fights. Sometimes those fights put him in the hospital. He was shot 15 different times. Most of those times he ended up in the hospital. He was in jail more than once because of his gang activity. But if you ask Chris, he'd tell you it, it was worth it at that time. It seemed worth it to him. He would not say that today. But at that time, he'd say, oh, yeah, I thought it was worth it because the gang was the only place I mattered. The gang was the only place where people took notice of me. In fact, he would say this, being a member of the gang meant that I mattered to someone. When my family and society had seemed to fail me, the gang was the only place that I thought I mattered. It became my family. I finally belonged. Now, the great news of Chris's story is it didn't stop there. In fact, at one point, he encountered Jesus, and then he surrendered to Jesus, and he became a pastor, and he now leads a church in the very neighborhood where, in his words, he once was thugging. I love that. What a great comeback story. But Chris is like many of us, jeopardizing and risking our safety, our basic needs, just to gain a sense of belonging. Friend, how far would you go? to belong. From an anthropological and a sociological standpoint, the basic unit of belonging in any and every culture, every society throughout history and across the world, the basic unit of belonging is family. Even in cultures like ours, incredibly individualistic places like the United States, we still sense a desire and even a need to belong to the family. But our American family ties pale in comparison with the family ties of other cultures throughout history and even around the world in most places around the world today. In most places, family is not an important thing. It is the only thing. It was that way in Jesus' culture, the Jewish culture that Jesus grew up in. Family was everything. Identity was wrapped up in family, not just Mom and dad and brothers and sisters, we're talking extended family, the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, dozens if not hundreds of people. And there was a shaming if you went against the family. There was your identity, your, your job, every part of who you are were wrapped up in the family thing. And that's what makes Jesus' words in Mark chapter three so shocking. We're in chapter 10 today of Quest 52, the devotional we're using to go through uh, this year to help us pursue Jesus and the question we're addressing today, the question we're going to seek to answer is, how do I identify with Jesus? How, how do I get into Jesus' inner circle? How do I belong? So let's take a look at Mark chapter 3 to help us do that. Well, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Now, let's pause right there. When we're reading the Bible and we're studying Scripture, we need to pay attention to context. Context helps us read it accurately, interpret it correctly. So when we come to a word like again, that's a signal that something important has come before. So we gotta go back and see what happened before. So I'm just gonna summarize for you what happens right before this passage. Jesus had been out teaching and preaching and healing and casting out demons. And as he taught and preached, as he was healing more and more people, as he was casting demons out from people, more and more people were learning of this, hearing of this, so they were flocking to him. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to be taught. They wanted to learn. They wanted demons cast away from them or a loved one. And so people were coming to people from all over, from all these different regions, even places like Tyre and Sidon, which historically were people groups who were enemies of Jesus' Jewish people. So even the enemies were coming to learn from Jesus. So 
That's what's happening. So these crowds begin to gather around Jesus again. Soon Jesus and his disciples could not even find time to eat. Now that would bug me. I like food. So when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He is out of his mind, they said. Jesus gone nuts. But the teachers of religious law and the scribes, the Pharisees, Sadducees, who had arrived from Jerusalem, they said he is possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Now, Jesus heard these things they were saying about him. So, Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. He goes on, if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? Satan would never survive. What Jesus is saying right there is, listen, Satan's desires that his demons would possess people, all people. Satan doesn't win if he casts a demon out of a person. He's not gonna do that. He's not gonna fight against himself. That's what he wants. He doesn't want them to be released. He wants them to be possessed. The work of Satan does not work against Satan. Satan might lose to God, but he's pretty powerful and he's not dumb. So that's not the answer, Jesus said. And then Jesus goes on. He says, let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only one even stronger. Next verse. Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Jesus says, listen, if Satan is powerful, he's powerful enough to possess people. The only way to cast those demons out is to be more powerful. And there's only one more powerful than him. And that's God. Jesus saying, I am siding with God. Only God would be casting out these demons. Only one more powerful than Satan would be working against Satan. I'm on the right side. He's telling the religious leaders, you got it wrong in your assessment. He goes on, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. Now, this idea of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit has caused much much consternation to Christians over the centuries. Again, context matters. Context is always king. It helps us understand what's happening. In this context, who's Jesus talking to? Not his followers. He's talking to his opponents, even his enemies. And so in the context here, what this seems to mean is that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is exactly what those religious teachers were doing. They were claiming that Jesus is of hell, not of heaven of Satan, not of God, that he is evil, not good, that Jesus was not to be followed, that he was wrong, that he was bad. So blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is saying Jesus is wrong and refusing to follow him because he's bad, and thus the reason it's not forgivable is because you would never turn from that because you never turned to him. So here's the good news. If you follow Jesus, you need not worry about this because there's no way you're blaspheming against the Holy Spirit because you follow the one acknowledging he's good. And if you ever do worry about it, you can stop worrying because you're on the right side, okay? So let's go on. Jesus told them this because they were saying he is possessed by an evil spirit. Well, about that time, Jesus' mom and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, hey, Jesus, your mom and your bros are outside. They're asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? An odd question, since they were right there. Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone 
anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. What a powerful teaching. You know, in relaying this event, Mark in his gospel uses a literary device common to his culture at that time. It's called a chiastic structure or a chiasm. It's kind of a parallel structure that helps us understand what's being said and what's really important. So we have these parallels. The crowds come to Jesus in verse 20. Then Jesus' family thinks he's nuts in the next verse. The scribes, the religious leaders, accuse Jesus, and Jesus responds to them. That's the center of the sandwich. But then, after his response, we see Mark restating what the scribes had said. And then the family comes to take charge again, family and family. And then the crowds show up once again. But notice what happens in the crowd this time. The crowds sit around Jesus as his new family. That's what this is all pointing to. This whole structure of this passage is designed to point to, whoa, 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 we get a new family picture here. Now, if you've ever felt like you did not belong, you can take comfort knowing that Jesus gets it because he's been there. He had times where he felt like he did not belong. He was rejected by his family. He was rejected by the religious leaders, primarily because he was being too accepting of too many people. Jesus was broadening the definition of belonging, The religious leaders of that time had made the same mistake that we can too easily fall into. We can make the right behavior the doorway, the pathway, the gateway to belonging. But Jesus flipped that. Now he said people need a place to belong. He gave them a place to belong, someone to belong to, himself a mission to belong to, his mission even before they believed and long before they behaved in all the right ways. And Jesus invites us to belong to him because he knows that the right behavior will follow our decision to follow him. He knows that if we decide to follow him, eventually the right behavior will follow suit. That's just how it works. It's what the Holy Spirit does in us. But Jesus' family, no, they thought he'd gone too far. He's out of his mind. He's nuts. Stick to the family. Stop the Messiah talk. You're a carpenter, not a rabbi. You are embarrassing. You're shaming the family. Jesus, stop it. Jesus was not only broadening the definition of belonging, he was broadening the definition of family. Mark hints at that, and he just shows us point blank. Anyone who does God's will is my brother, sister, my mother. It's what it is to belong to Jesus' family. You do the will of the Father, you follow, you believe, you're in the family. The apostle Paul, an early church leader, wrote a letter to the believers at Ephesus, and he echoed this same sentiment. Ephesians chapter one, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. What a beautiful picture that is. We've been adopted in by God. And he did so by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I love that, it pleased God to adopt us in. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. God is so rich in kindness, so rich in grace, that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us our sins. Let's unpack that real quick. He purchased us. See, we were captives, hostages, held ransom by our sin, by death, by Satan, by our own rebelliousness against God. And the only way to get free was to be purchased, to be ransomed, 
is to be saved, rescued. And that's exactly what Jesus did. When Jesus died for us on the cross, he was rescuing us, ransoming us back to God the Father, giving us a family to belong to. That was the adoption force. When Jesus was on the cross, he was rejected by everyone. But the very people he came to save, even rejected by God the Father. In that moment, God, who is perfect holiness, had to look away from his son as, as Jesus embodied, as he shouldered all the sin in the world. As Scripture tells us, he became sin for us. The Father had to look away. Jesus was totally rejected so that all of us could be fully accepted through him. And so from Jesus' perspective, family is important, but the family of God is most important. Now that's a welcome statement to any who have a dysfunctional family or a distant family. But if you've got strong family ties, that can be a difficult truth. So hear me out on this, family matters. It does. We should love our families. We should seek to do what we can to help our families. When challenges arise in the family, we should reconcile with them and do whatever we can to make things right with them. Family matters, family is important. And that is exactly why God uses the picture of family to describe life in the church. Our commitment to one another in the church should be as strong or stronger than the strongest earthly ties. As we relate to others who are following Christ, we relate to them as brothers and sisters, not just metaphorically, but actually brothers and sisters of an eternal family of faith. And we should do so with an inseparable bond because if we're in Christ, we're in it forever. So look around, get used to these people. You're gonna be with them for a very long time. So learn to get along. This is why we should heed Jesus' warning. He says that a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. That's why Jesus prayed so earnestly for our unity. We see that in John 17. This is why Paul wrote to the early church to do whatever it takes to keep the strong bond of peace, the bond of unity that we have in Jesus Christ. We're not to fight against one another, but to fight for one another. And so when problems happen, we should do what we can to reconcile with one another. Listen, if you have something against somebody in the family of God, you gotta do what you can to get right with them. Because it's impossible to be right with God if you're not seeking to be right with his children. He makes that pretty clear in his scriptures. That we as brothers and sisters, need to pursue unity and peace. As much as it depends on us, Paul says to the Romans, as much as it depends on us, we need to be at peace with one another. So we pursue peace, we pursue reconciliation. What that means is if there's somebody who's wronged you, you need to go to them and you need to offer forgiveness. If you have wronged somebody else, you need to go and you need to ask forgiveness. And you can't control how they respond, but you can control what you do to seek to make things right, to reconcile to be in right relationship with one another. When we celebrate communion, scripture tells us pretty plainly, we gotta make sure that we are seeking to be right with one another. Because we can't celebrate being right with God if we're not seeking to be right with one another. This is a big deal to be part of his family. You see, church isn't just a place you go, it's not just a service you attend, a building you come to, it's a people you belong to, a family you belong to, it's a new forever family of faith in Jesus. And this is what sets the church apart from every other kind of place in the world that you could belong. See, when we come to Christ, when we surrender Christ, we get saved, but it's not just salvation where we find our hope in the Savior. It's also in the restoration. 
To be part of this family of God, it's not just that we're invited to be in this church thing. No, no, we're invited to be in Christ. And in this family of Christ, Jesus gives us a new name for God. It's Father. It's Dad. It's intimate. It's personal. It's close. It's loving. It's beautiful. That he's not just God. He's Father. He's Abba. So if this church thing we do is nothing more than getting together with like-minded people who like the same music and look like us and dress like us and vote like us and think like us and we have a social club with one another, if that's all that church really is, then we're totally missing it. We're totally missing it. You can get that at a CrossFit box. You can get that at the bar. You can get that at a country club or a neighborhood club or some social club. You can get that at a school organization. No, the invitation from Jesus is an invitation not to just be in the church, but an invitation to be in Christ and in his family, a place of belonging. It's an invitation to belong to him and to one another. See, Jesus invites you to be part of his family, to find your place of belonging with him. And he invites you to come just as you are. In fact, that's what got him in so much trouble. Jesus didn't make it all about believing all the right things up front or behaving in all the right ways, but of finding your belief in him, belonging to him first. And he opened the door wide. He opened the gates wide open. The religious leaders of his time, they didn't like that. One of the reasons they crucified him is how Jesus is a heretic. He was inviting too many people in. He wasn't doing it the right way. I think maybe he was. So each week when we come together, we actually celebrate what Christ did. For those of you in person, when you came in today, you received a cup like this, juice on top and bread on the bottom. I invite you to open that and to take the bread, just to hold it in your hand for a moment. For those of you joining us online, you can take what you have prepared, your juice, your bread. If you need to substitute something for one of those, it's okay. You can. And I just invite you to close your eyes and let me guide your thoughts for a moment. As you hold this bread in your hand, this is the bread of belonging. It's the bread that represents the body of Jesus, sacrificed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, that you might find your place of belonging in him. Not because of anything we have done, not because of anything you've done. In fact, even your best religious actions would fall short. But actually in spite of all that we have done, he sacrificed himself for us because he loves us and it gave God great pleasure to bring us into his family. And so in this moment, we take and we eat together. Go ahead and take. And we remember Christ's sacrifice for us, for the forgiveness of sins. And we take this cup of belonging, you can open your eyes to open that cup. But we take, <clears throat> we take this cup of belonging, remembering that as Christ's blood poured out, so too did the grace, the love, the mercy, the forgiveness of the Father. So take and drink in remembrance of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of life forever. God, we thank you 
you've invited us into your family. That of all the places we can belong, we find our greatest belonging with you. And you invite us in just as we are. And you do a great, beautiful work of not leaving us that way. Jesus, thank you for all that you endured, all the rejection and pain you endured so that we could be accepted and healed forever. Amen. Friend, the beautiful thing about that is it's an invitation to come just as you are. It's Jesus' invitation. Find your place of belonging just as you are. You don't have to get all the details right up front. You don't have to believe all the right things up front. You don't have to behave in all the right ways up front. In fact, that's really good news because none of us behaves in all the right ways all the right time anyway. But it's chance just to come as you are. Bring your doubts, your fears, your failures. So, friend, are you curious or confused, cynical, skeptical, doubting, even denying? Are you fearful? Are you faithless? But you're interested in Jesus? Then come. Then come. Because you belong here. This place is for you. The invitation is for you to find your place of belonging at the table with God. If you're pursuing Jesus, you belong. And come just as you are. But come expectantly. Because our God is in the business of transformation. And that transformation happens one step at a time. It usually begins with being far from God and then maybe being kind of in a loose friendship with him. But God's desire, his heart, is that you would eventually follow him and be part of his family. The, the progression often sounds like this. Oh, I know about that church. Oh, I, I visited their church. I, I go to that church. Oklahoma, Oklahoma Christian Church? Oh, that's my church. It's my church. And so no matter where you are on that progression from far away to being in the family, just know that you're welcome here just as you are. God loves you just as you are, but hold on tight because he loves you way too much to leave you that way. He's gonna change you. That's why we're going through this 15-minute everyday devotional with Jesus, and you'll find the longer you do it, 15 minutes just ain't enough time. And you'll find that the closer you get to Jesus, he's gonna change you. So you can belong here before you believe, and you can belong here even before you behave in all the right ways. You can find your place of being here, but you need to know that eventually as you pursue Jesus, well, there will come a day when belonging demands something from you. It will actually demand all of you, fully, completely surrendered to him. See, there comes a time when belonging means believing. I love Jesus' words. He says to all who believe in him, he gave the right to be children of God. You believe in him, you become part of the family. You belong, kind of, but once you believe, that that's where the belonging really settles in. And he invites all of us to belong. So friend, how far would you go to belong? Are you dying to belong? Because ultimately that's what it takes. Paul wrote this to the church at Rome. I think we got a verse there. Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? 
For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. That's what baptism means. That's what we witnessed earlier. In fact, we had three people first service and one this service died to their old way of living, died to their rebellion against God, died to their old way of doing it my way. Frankie was wrong. Doing it my way is not the right way. They surrendered. They surrendered old life to find new forever life in Jesus. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. I love this. Don't miss this. Just as Christ was raised, right, resurrection power, just as he was raised by power, we live in that power. We have the power of God, the very resurrection power of God in us. We have the resurrection power of God to give us courage, courage to go reconcile with somebody who we're at odds with. Even if we might lose face, because who cares about saving face when we are magnifying grace, right? Like we have the courage of the spirit within us to help us do what's right. We have the courage to help us resist temptation. We have the courage that when we fail and we are tempted and we give in to sin, we we can go back to God. We can confess to one another. We confess to him. We're made right with him. We have the power of God that our prayers are powerful to affect change in this world, that we call down the power of God into this place. Like there's the power of God in us to do something incredible. The very power that rose Jesus from the grave is in you. What a beautiful thing that is. Church, we need to live it. And according to Jesus, the water of baptism is thicker than the blood in our veins because the blood of Jesus is thickest of all. And that's the tie that binds us. So because of that, The family that matters most is not your family of birth, but your family of rebirth, the forever family you've been born into. Again, if you've had a distant or dysfunctional family, that's good news. But even if you've had a beautiful, strong, awesome family, you need to do what you can to bring them into the forever family. And you need to celebrate, if they are there, you need to celebrate that you have a double bonus, a double portion of God's blessing. And if you've not yet made the decision to be part of God's family, to belong to him, well then today is your day. If you're joining us online and you're ready to make that decision, you just let the host know in the chat space, I'm ready. I'm ready to belong. If you're here in person, you're ready to make that decision. Then after the service, you make your way, as you exit through these doors, you make your way to the right in the lobby to our next steps area. And you let us know, I'm ready to belong. I'm ready to go all in with Jesus. And if you have made that decision, if you're in the family, let's not forget what God said, that our responsibility is to grow the family. That it pleased God to invite us into his family. When I'm marrying my wife, my, my wife has three sisters, no brothers. I was a little nervous that there might be some opposition from her dad. I was a little nervous. Am I going to be welcomed in? I became a son. I became a son. Loved me as though he were my dad. There was no in-law about it. My three brother-in-laws, we are as tight as it gets. There's no in-law. That's just brother. And so we are the ones, in fact, we used to get in trouble from our wives. Kids were little, diapers didn't need change, kids need watch. We would go off, and it was like we were the ones who grew up together. And we would go off and do dumb things and then get in trouble for like shirking other responsibility. Sorry, honey. Um, We've mostly grown out of that. Now we invite the kids to go do the dumb things with us because they're all left to do so. Sorry, we're probably not gonna stop. But we invite them into the family. And now I've got nieces and nephews and daughters dating and looking at guys and gals and welcome to the family. 
Church, that's the way it should be. Welcome to the family, we invite them in. So here's my question, who do you know who does not know they belong? Who do you know who needs to know that they belong right here with us? Who do you need to invite in? See, Paul also wrote this to the church in Rome. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, not because of what we do, but simply trusting what he has done for us. And this is true for who? Say it with me, everyone who believes, right? Believing the doorway to belong, no matter who we are. You know one of the most powerful things is maybe there's somebody here you're like, yeah, I think everybody but that person should belong. But when you go to that person and you invite them to belong, you'll never see a more powerful testimony and witness of grace and love in your life. I know because I've been that guy. So church, who do you know who needs to find their place of belonging right here? Remember, for, eat, for us to reach everyone, it takes each of us reaching someone. We, we began the year with this mantra, each one reaching one for the glory of the one. So church, I'm just gonna ask you again, who is your one? Who are you praying for? Who are you begging heaven for? For their salvation, for them to find their place of belonging right here. I wanna invite you to stand and pray with me. God, we thank you that you are the God of belonging. That you invite us to belong, not because of what we have done, not because of any good in us, but because of the perfect, beautiful, holy goodness of yourself. That it, it pleased you that we would be your sons and daughters. So God, thank you that we find our belonging in you. We find our belonging in this family and it's forever. And God, we don't always get it right. We, we have some family feuds. Father, I pray that you would help us to reconcile those when they happen, to lean on your Holy Spirit power, your resurrection power to help us bring peace, to forgive and be forgiven by one another. And Father, that we would live on mission, learning to behave as you would have us, but believing in you, trusting in you, trusting in your powers. We pray for our ones and we invite them that maybe it's a simple invitation to join us at Spring Fest. Maybe it's an invitation to come and sit with us at the Easter service and then share a meal with us in our homes. But God, that we would lean on your power that will change the lives of those who don't yet belong and we'll celebrate. Oh God, may we celebrate like we celebrate today those four lives who found their belonging in you. May we celebrate every time somebody comes to find their place of belonging in you. And we pray all this, that you and you alone would get all the glory, the, all the praise, all the worship, now and forever. We love you, Dad. Amen.